Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Listen, before we even get into anything, I just have this burning in my spirit, this deep confidence, and I just want to declare and prophesy across all of our campuses today, from Worcester all the way down to Stanford, for those of us, for those of you joining us at home, for those of you in this room, God is going to release something very specific and strategic in our hearts today. There's going to be a shift that takes place in your life personally, and I'm so sure that there's going to be a shift that takes place corporately. God has big things for us today, and so get ready. Let your faith build. Be expectant. Amen? Amen. Listen, I am so encouraged by these last couple of weeks. I don't know if you are. I have never before been so hungry for more of God's presence, more of what he has, more of what he has in store for my family, for my journey with him, and so desperate to see revival in our region, to see renewal come. Come on, are you guys excited for what the Lord has in store? My goodness. Fresh hunger like never before. And we're going to step into a new level of that today. Amen. Amen. Well, I am so thankful for Justin. Do you guys love him? I personally love him very, very much. He is my favorite person on the planet. But I'm so grateful for all the ways that he's led us, even these last couple of weeks, just opening the word and taking us on this journey of asking, God, what do you have for us? What does it mean to see renewal and revival here and now? And so I'm just, I'm so thankful for him. I'm thankful for how he encourages me. I tell you what, that man has been through it with me. We have been 23 years together. Yeah, you better clap for that. 23 years of our life we have spent together, some more time together than apart, and he has had many different versions of me. I do like to think that by God's grace I'm growing and things are getting a little better as we go, but he has stuck with me through some seasons that things have been kind of rough for me, times where I didn't see the conditions of my own heart, see things in my own life, and there was one time, one year season in particular, I had spent 26 years of living this one way, and the thing is I had no idea Other people around me saw, other people around me could see, but I was clueless. I had no idea. And this wonderful, loving man just stuck with me. You can go ahead and throw that first picture up there. Aww, aww. But here's the thing, guys, I didn't know. Do you see it? 26 years old, I had no idea that I had no eyebrows. No eyebrows on my face for 26 years. The thing is, I couldn't see it until I saw it. And now it's literally all I can see. I look at every picture of myself, 26 years and younger, and I'm like, somebody should have helped that girl out. I did a fresh tint for you guys today. Things are feeling good. Please take that picture down for the love. Okay. All right. I couldn't see it until I saw it. All right. We have, I was hanging out with a friend the other day. We have a one-year-old golden retriever, Winnie. You can put her picture up there. Oh, Winnie Win. And we love our dog and dog people in the house, okay? Yeah. All right, so, you know, we're sitting in our living room with my dog, and my friend's ruffling her little face, and she's like, you know, your dog kind of looks like Richard Gere. I'm like, excuse me? What do you mean my dog looks like Richard Gere? And she's like, she does. She looks like Richard Gere. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. My dog doesn't look like Richard Gere. Go ahead. Right? 
Now you see it, don't you, a little bit? The eyes, like a little crease around her eyebrows. My dog does look a little bit like Richard Gere. The thing is, you can't see it until you see it, and now you see it, okay? For real. You know, and I don't know about you, you could take that down too. I have had so many seasons in my life where there were things in my heart that I really couldn't see. Things that I did not know were going on in my life. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place where you lived a certain way or had a certain thing going on in your heart or were unaware of a particular sin or behavior in your life until the Lord revealed something to you, until God opened your eyes and then you were able to see. There was one season in my life back in 2015 where for years I had dealt with deep insecurity that produced a deep fear of man and such a root of pride in my heart and it caused such difficulty and such pain in the way that I interacted with others around me. And there was a moment, I was in Portland, Oregon, and I had this profound encounter with the Holy Spirit and my eyes were open and I could see the condition of my heart. And I literally have never been the same since that day. I couldn't see it until I saw it. If you're taking notes today, the title of this message is, You Can't See It Till You See It. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, let your heart expand. Let your faith build. Something's going to shift in this place today. God, we welcome you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're with us across all of our campuses in Bridgeport and Stanford and North Campus. Lord, that you are beginning a move today. So, Jesus, would you help us see? We honor you in this place. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, we're going to look today at the city of Antioch. Okay, we're going to look at the book of Acts and look at what was happening in the move of God there. What was happening in the midst of the church in the city of Antioch? And before we go to the word, I just want to give you a little bit of history about this city. Okay, it was a very, very large city, third largest at that time after Rome and Alexandria. There were probably 18 different uh, people groups, different ethnicities that had all kind of come together in this city. So very diverse, but very segregated, very separated. People kind of kept to themselves. The city was really founded on wealth, on prosperity, on status. People really lived for the moment, not for what came after. There was really no eternal focus, no eternal uh, perspective that they had in this city. And so that's just kind of a little bit, that's what's happening in this region and in this city uh, before we go into the word. So let's look at this first text in Acts 11. Barnabas is looking for Saul. Look at 11.26 with me. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All right. So we're going to pause there. The followers of Jesus show up, okay? They, they, they step into this city, and the people of Antioch have no idea what to do with them. They don't know how to, how to like, explain them, how to talk about them. They've got all these people that come in. They've got the name of Jesus on their lips. That's all they talk about. That's all they do. And they're like, we don't know what to do with these people. We've got to give them a name so we know how to categorize them. And they literally, they call them Christians, the name that, that we identify ourselves with today, first took place here because they lived in such a way that was so countercultural, that was so unique, that was so set apart from everything else that was happening in the city, everything else that was happening in that region. The thing is, they saw something. They understood that there was a holy calling for the follower of Christ. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago at Illum about God's heart for community that you and I have to be intentional to pursue diversity within unity. And if you were there, God's going to remind you of some things today. And if you weren't, God's going to open up something in the way that you view community and unity within community today. So I want to challenge us. Even last week, as Justin talked about the move of God that, that William Seymour saw and the unity of people's hearts and the unity of their minds, 
I want to challenge us today to a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, that what does it mean to be unified in a way that sets us apart? There's a unique thing that this movement in Antioch was, was carrying. It was pushing forward, being pushed forward by people that were all so different from each other, had all these different backgrounds, all these different stories, and they came together for one purpose. Look at Acts 13 with me, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All right, so you've got all these people that now move into the city. You've got Paul and Barnabas, who, both, who were both Jewish, but grew up outside of Israel, Menaean, who grew up in the house of Herod the Tetrarch. So there was tons of wealth. He had access to this great education. He had all of these, these uh, like tangible things that he grew up with, right? You've got Lucius, who grew up in northern Africa, and Simeon, who they also called Niger, just noting that his skin was darker. So he most likely grew up in the southern part of Africa at this time. And so they pointing out all of these things, all of their differences was for a reason reason, because it mattered, because it was a significant piece of what was happening in the movement of God in this place. And so these men all come in and they join their lives together for one purpose. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for you and for me? How do we look at this and begin to ask God, how do we experience renewal and revival? There was a heavenly strategy that was at work that I wanna take a look at today. And you know, we don't just see this in Antioch, we see it all throughout scripture, that the design and the intention of God, that preceding every move, people are of one heart, of one mind, of one pursuit, with one focus, one thing central. And as we look at these men and we look at their lives, we see their move to a divided city, no concern for their backgrounds, no concern for their wealth or their status within a society but we see that they allowed their unique differences to complement one another. And they found, formed this family that ushered in a move of God. Last week, you talked about unity of heart and unity of mind. And today, we're going to look at unity with intention and in practice. See, the thing is, how we practice diversity within unity for the sake of the advancement of the gospel is a significant piece of how we see renewal and revival in our time. So I want to eliminate a little bit of confusion, okay, on what unity is. Unity is not being the same. It doesn't mean all being the same. It actually means being different, but together. It's the opposite of being divided. It's about being unified around one purpose, around one cause, about a transcendent purpose in our hearts that pulls us up and above and beyond our differences. Look at Romans chapter 15 with me, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That word accord literally means with one mind, with one passion, rushing along in unison, okay? And so it paints this melodic picture, this musical picture. And if you don't know much about music, there's melody, which is one note. Everybody, no matter how many people singing, if you're on melody, you're singing one note. Harmony is a bunch of notes stacked on top of each other that complement one another, that together, when they're pulled together, all these notes make this one beautiful, glorious sound, okay? And so that's our call today. 
That's what the Lord is asking us to step into in a new and in a fresh way, that our lives would be ones that are harmonious for the sake of the gospel. Each one of our unique differences hovered around Jesus Christ for his glory, for his honor, for his name. The thing is, it's on purpose, guys. We're created uniquely. We're created differently on purpose. We were never designed to be the same. Goodness, look around the room. Look around the room, Hartford. Look at the people sitting in front of you, behind you, in North Campus, here in Bramford. Some of us grew up with wealth. Some of us grew up with poverty. Some of us have doctorate's degrees. Some of us never graduated high school, okay? White, black, Hispanic, all different backgrounds, all different seasons of life. Each one of us has this unique story, this unique gift that when we pull together with Jesus at the center, we make this beautiful and this glorious sound for him. But you know, the thing is, there's a danger in our day and age to fall into temptation to spend our life with people who are just like us, because it's easy, right? To allow the people that we share our life with to be of the same note as us, the same sound, the same tune. And the thing is, I think we miss out significantly when we don't allow the harmony that others bring into our life to expand our perspective of who God is and shape how we view ourselves and how we view one another and how we experience God's love. And maybe that's you today, and if you're honest, and you take a moment and you examine your life, the people that are closest to you are pretty similar to you. Maybe the same age, maybe the same race, maybe you've got the same background. And listen, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? Hear my heart today. It's okay to have strong relationships with people that are like you and that you do have things in common, but if that's it, and your life is only one note, we're missing out and we wonder, guys, why we don't see the move of God that we're so desperate for, or we don't see this breakthrough that you so desperately need in your life. And it's because so often we're limited in our understanding of the depth of God, of the different attributes of his character and of his nature, because we can only see one way because we limit who we share our lives with, because we can only hear or see one note. Listen to me today, the fullness of God is meant to be experienced in full relationships. We see the many facets of who he is represented in and through the lives of those that are around us. And without it, we can't see it. You can't see it till you see it. Such power and such understanding, guys, hear me today, that comes through seeing others through the lens, seeing Jesus through the lens of other people's lives. Hear me, that diversity within community has always been God's plan. Always, 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 from the very beginning. It has always been his plan. We see this in so many different avenues throughout scripture. We see this in the disciples' lives, right? You've got all these people that followed Jesus that could not have been more different than one another. Different political backgrounds, different economical backgrounds. You've got a physician and a tax collector, a thief, men, women, different ages, coming from different regions in that area, all pulling their lives together. And they had this one thing that tied them together. And they were effective because of their personal revelations of Jesus, but how they uniquely expressed what he, has, what he had done for them. They leaned into the unique graces that were on each one of their lives. Here's the thing. If I only know what he's done for me, I limit his ability because my understanding falls short. I must allow the lives of others 
to inform my understanding of his depth and of his power and of his incredible ability, his endless mercies that he shows. Hear me today, you might be missing eyebrows and you don't even know. Come on, somebody, okay? It's true. We cannot awaken the revelation of the love of Christ to the lost or see renewal or see revival if we are not intentionally, intentionally investing in that awakening in each other. There's a call today, family, to push beyond our self-imposed limits of convenience, of familiarity, to push beyond fear, to truly follow the examples of the disciples, to truly follow the examples of these men that we see in the church of Antioch, to truly respond to the call of God that is on our lives, to purposefully open our hearts to each other and pursue a gospel experience that is different than my own. One thing, one truth expressed uniquely. I remember when this began to shift for me. When I graduated high school, I joined a missions program called Youth with a Mission, and I spent six months with six other, nope, there were six of us, five other students. And, uh, you know, that was a really incredible time in my life, but it was really challenging for me. It was my first time living away from home, and so I show up in North Carolina, and I move into this one tiny little room with four other girls, all these bunk beds stacked on top of each other. And I tell you, the, the five of us could not have been more different than each other. Janelle was from Pennsylvania, the youngest of nine. She grew up Amish, very different life experience than me. Randy grew up in Tennessee, but was like obsessed with this punk rock theme. She had like the big wide leg jeans, the safety pin earrings in her ears, super spiky hair. Okay, Dawn was an actual legit cowgirl, like grew up on a ranch, rode horses. That's all she did with her life. And then there was Daisy who grew up on the missions field in Guatemala and moved back to North Carolina to do this, this specific missions program with us. And so I tell you, we lived six months, four months in North Carolina, two months in India, very close quarters, sharing our lives with one another, crashing into each other on a daily basis. But something began to shift. Something began to happen in my heart. That as I learned to love these girls who were super, super different than me, and I allowed them to love me, my understanding of who God was began to shift. My understanding of how God loved me took on flesh right in front of me. There was this passing back and forth of how I love Jesus and how they love Jesus. And let me show you, and why don't you show me, and let me tell you, and you tell me. And this exchange happened, and something began to grow in my heart. And my understanding of who God is and his heart towards me began to increase more and more. There's a holy call to intentionally pursue diversity within unity in the church. It's happening today. It's stirring right now. Allow your heart to open. Jesus, would you do it in our midst? In Matthew 5, Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking in this, this one part about like loving your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a part in the end where he says, if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than any of these? And I believe that's the question that God wants to ask our hearts today. What more? To truly love our neighbor, to truly love the people sitting in front of you or behind you, but you only greet your brother. You only greet somebody close to you. You only greet the one that you're familiar with. What more? What more? Hmm. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, right? This is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture, I think. As Christ has welcomed you, 
my goodness, it's a big task, right? Open arms, open heart, just as Jesus has welcomed me. This grace that I've known to be so true for my life, to turn and do that for somebody next to me. This way of living requires a deep, deep spiritual conviction, which I believe is going to happen in our hearts today, but it also requires personal action. It's up to you. Nobody can make you do this. Nobody can force you. And it's not for inside these four walls. Hear me, church. It's for outside. It's for when you leave here on a Sunday afternoon and spend your week at work or in your neighborhood or at the gym and time with friends. You know, we had the... Uh, the Illum Conference a couple of weeks ago, and so we, we specifically paired women, actually kind of not specifically, it was randomly, paired women with one another to walk through this 12-week devotional. And I tell you, we had a pretty 50-50 mix of positive to negative responses from that. People that were really excited to begin a journey with somebody going deeper in their faith with somebody that they didn't know. And then there were a lot of people that were really flustered and annoyed, and maybe you're in this room and you're like, that was me. I'm not even sorry. We have got to go beyond ourselves and learn to love like Jesus did. And that means I can't love like myself. I can't love in the way that I know. I have got to learn to see others, to welcome others, to press into the work of God in others' lives that goes beyond myself, that transcendent purpose, that transcendent way of loving and living my life. You have got to take initiative. Hmm. Thing is, guys, we actually have a hunger for this. You may not even know it because God wired us this way. He planted this within us. He put it within each one of us. And maybe you're thinking, okay, I have no idea how to do this, Chrissy. I'm hearing you. I even, I'm open to it and I want to do this, but I have no idea. How do I build unity with somebody that's different than me? I've got good news. It's not as complicated as you think. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had all things in common. I wonder if my Bible has a typo or if something is written wrong in that portion of Scripture. All things in common. I don't know a single person that I have all things in common with. They would probably be my absolute favorite person. It would be a lovely thing, wouldn't it, to have somebody that you have literally everything in common with? I mean, my own best friend, okay? It's literally not possible to have all things in common. So then why? Would they include this in scripture? Why would they say this? It's because these people had a revelation. They saw something. They understood something. They could see something. There's a story in Acts 11 where Peter has a vision. And in this vision, he sees this sheet full of animals lowered from heaven. And he's told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, I can't eat. It's unclean. And the voice from heaven responds to him again and says, what God has called clean do not call common. Stay with me, okay? Peter was being told that the ceremonial law was done away with. That meant that they could eat certain things and couldn't eat certain things. That the ceremonial law that divided people groups from one another 
was done away with, that that barrier was broken down. Jesus did away with that separation. And so hear me, the same word that's used for what God is called common, do not, what God is called clean, do not call common is the Greek word koinao, which is the same Greek word used in Acts 2, where it says they had all things in common. So what they're saying there is that what used to be defiled is now pure. What used to separate us has now been removed. What was common is now clean. Hear me today. So when it says that they had all things in common, it means that they each experienced the unique revelation of their need for Jesus, their need for repentance, their need for forgiveness of their sins. They experienced redemption. That was what they had in common. The cross leveled the playing field. Every part of their lives had been made new by Jesus. This supernatural took place in their hearts. All who believed day by day by day, people were getting saved day by day by day. The numbers were being added to the church and they had all things in common. They came together around their shared need for redemption. They saw the truth of their own sin. (laughs) And it pulled them together under Jesus. We cannot See the unity that we need to see in the church in order to see renewal and revival until you see the need that you have in your heart. See, it didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter their background. What makes us different sets us apart, and that's beautiful. But what Jesus has done pulls us together. It puts us on one road, on one path, with one track. Because of Jesus, because of how we need him, we have all things in common, all things, because the gospel touches every part of our life. It leaves no place of our heart unaffected by its power, by its truth. There's the secret of the church in Acts 2, the secret of the church in Antioch. Listen, we don't have all things in common, but we have one great thing in common, and that changes everything. Everything. We cannot see renewal on the outside until we see what's missing on the inside. You can't see it until you see it. We need each other. What does that mean? What does it mean we need each other? It means we need to learn from each other. It means we need to serve each other. It means we need to worship with each other. We need, we need to be inconvenienced for each other. Come on, God's awakening something today. Look at Acts 11 with me, verse 20. But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. It's the first thing that Barnabas sees when he shows up is the grace of God. He recognizes it. He sees the grace of God on the people. What is the grace of God? It's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God on our life, kindness that you and I do not deserve, given us through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him, forgiveness of our sins, 
redemption through his blood, all things in common. That's what the grace of God carries into our life. That's what these people in this church carried. That's what Barnabas saw when he showed up. He sees, as soon as he shows up, these people have all things in common. They get it. They see it. They're living it. And out of that, he encourages them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What is steadfast purpose? That that was interesting language there. Now, why not say remain faithful to the Lord in your calling? Remain faithful to the Lord in the way that you are. Remain faithful to the Lord in your, your ability or in your track or in your pursuit. There's a very specific word that's used there, and I did a little bit of research. In the Old Testament, the word that's used for steadfast purpose is translated showbread, which is really weird. And if you go and you look at showbread, it's translated steadfast purpose. See, the showbread were 12 loaves of unleavened bread that were kept in the inner courts of the temple in the Holy of Holies where only the high priests were allowed to go. And this bread was kept there continually. And it represented God's generosity. It represented his love. It represented that his presence would never leave. It was a reminder of God's desire for unbroken connection with his people. And God's desire for that unbroken connection is why he sent his son. Because you and I both know that constant unbroken relationship with the Father is only possible through Jesus. It's only possible through his son. And then we know that on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, scripture tells us that the veil to the temple, the inner court, the holy place, where the showbread was kept, was torn. That barrier that separated us from that place was now gone And you and I have access through Jesus to the continual presence of God through the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this today. The supernatural brought into the natural in that moment. Everything that we need, everything that we long for, provided in the free gift of grace given to you, given to me by Jesus on the cross. And so what did Barnabas mean? when he says, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Remain faithful to the Lord by continuing in his presence. Remain faithful to the Lord by keeping unbroken communion with him. The reminder of his presence always before us. And here's the thing, as this happens, as we keep the reminder of his presence, of what he's done, of who he is, before us, at the forefront of our minds, embedded in every relationship, at the center of every action that we take, as this becomes the unwavering purpose of our lives, then, and only then, can we begin to see renewal and revival. You can't see it till you see it. Supernatural unity with his spirit makes way for supernatural unity with others. This is not a natural thing. What God has in his heart for us to experience in our interactions with one another, we cannot accomplish on our own. It's got to be the supernatural work of God in us that convicts us, that draws us to a place of action, that draws us to a place where we invest in others out of what Jesus has invested in you and me. Supernatural unity. Hear me. If we want to see a move of God... We've got to be willing to move some stuff around in our hearts and in our minds. This is not just a good idea or a good notion. Guys, this is our holy calling. 
a holy pursuit. 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time because of his own purpose, because of his own showbread, because of his own continual presence, his own unbroken communion with us and his grace, that free gift given us by the cross, given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This was always the plan. This was always what he had in his heart. This is how Antioch saw it. This is how the rest of the church of Acts saw it. And this is the only way that you and I are going to see is that unity with one another is only possible when we have unity with his spirit, unity with his presence. Hear me today. Every barrier that separated us has been broken down. What was common has now been made clean. Every barrier that separated us from his presence, that veil was torn in two, and we now have full access to who he is, to communion with him. Remain faithful to the Lord in unbroken communion with him. And it's as we do this that our hearts become soft and willing, and we become flexible and able to engage with others that are different than us, able to hear the heart and the experience of somebody else, and rather than be critical, or rather than be judgmental, or rather than compare, we're moved with the compassion of Jesus. And we can enter in to the work of God in somebody else's life. And we can invite them to the work of God in our own life. And then something begins to happen. And as we move the heart of God with our obedience. And as we move the heart of God with our willingness and with our desperation and our hunger, we move heaven and we pull down what he has. And then we begin to see awakening. And then we begin to see the lost come to Jesus. And then we begin to see a move of God that will blow our minds, that heaven come to earth. Guys, this is his heart. Don't miss this today. You can't see it till you see it. He's got to put our hearts back together with his love. There's only one way that that happens. One of the ways is this passing back and forth. What God has done for me. This exchange that happens. Spiritual conviction, personal action. All right, I want to give you three things today. Three simple, practical steps that you can take beginning today to invite the Lord into this space in your life. The first one, seek God with somebody else. Seek God with someone else. Justin and I started about two months ago. Every Tuesday morning, we get up at 5.30 together. And sometimes we worship. Sometimes we pray. Sometimes we read scripture together. Sometimes we're just silent before the Lord. But we pursue his heart together with no agenda. We just want him. And it's produced this hunger in my soul. And it's produced this strengthening in our marriage, certainly. But the thing is, when you're hungry for God, it affects every relationship in your life. It affects every interaction that you have. It affects every behavior that you exhibit. It's really hard to be in his presence and not let it change you. (laughs) Seek God with somebody else. It doesn't have to be your spouse. 
It can be a friend, it can be a coworker. Go for a walk on your lunch break and pray together. Have a phone call if you've got a long commute to work and pray with somebody on the phone. Guys, this is not complicated. Seek God with somebody else. Join a core group, join a community group. Number two, stretch your circle. Invite somebody into your life. Invite them for coffee. Invite them to come spend time at home with you in the chaos and the craziness of your kids if you're married and you got children. <laughs> Invite somebody to go to the gym with you. Life together, side by side. Expand your circle. And number three, hunt down a fence in your heart. It's a hard one. You might be here today and you're carrying hurt from a past friendship or past relationship and resentment has grown and it's caused you to be afraid of stepping into deeper relationship or connection, even with the Lord maybe. But you open your heart. Allow God to bring healing. Allow him to bring restoration. When you and I move and we take action, it moves his heart. Spiritual renewal will come to all relationships when we realize that the cross has to move out in two directions. God has healed our vertical relationship with him through Jesus, right? Don't miss this today. But you and I, we heal the horizontal relationships with those that are in our life. It's got to go in two directions in our life. Oh, come Holy Spirit. I want to invite you across all our campuses. Would you stand today? Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you open our eyes? We don't rush this moment. Maybe you're here. You need to repent. You need to ask somebody for forgiveness. Maybe they're sitting right next to you. <laughs> Maybe you need to forgive someone in your heart for a way that they've hurt you. In order for us to make space in our hearts for Jesus to move, we've got to move some things around and get rid of the things that don't belong, that take up space where he belongs. Maybe you're here today and you need healing in your heart. The Holy Spirit's here. Whatever it is that would take up that space in your heart, he wants to begin that work today. For some of you, it's a journey. For some of you, it'll happen in a moment. Whatever you've walked through up until this moment today, the Lord sees, he knows, he's with you, he's carrying you. He speaks his words of life and truth and his promise over you, and he invites you to step into that today. Maybe you're here today and you need to take a bold step this week and in response to your choice to hunger after the Lord, you fast with us Monday to Friday. Believing that God would stir something in you. Isn't it funny about food that the more you eat, the more you want? It's the same thing with its presence. That the more we have, the more we want. <laughs> 
It's never enough. Let's believe for something to shift today. And we're going to sing in just a moment. But I have no interest in rushing what God's doing here. (laughs) But if you're here today, if you're here in North Campus, if you're here in Springfield, and you're hearing me talk about the grace of God, about redemption, about forgiveness of sins, about healing your vertical relationship with God. And you need that today. I want to give you an opportunity to open your heart to Jesus. It's all across this place. Would you close your eyes? Across all our campuses, even now. If you're here and you need to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I want unity with your spirit. I want unity with your presence. If you need that redemption to be at work in your life today, would you lift your hand so that I can pray with you? All across this place, there is no greater miracle than a heart open to the gospel. There is no greater movement than when the old life is moved away and the new life is ushered in. So I'm going to pray for you. I just invite you to pray along with me in your own words, or you can repeat after what I say. Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. I'm separate from you, and I acknowledge my need for you. So today I receive your free gift of grace. I invite you to come to dwell in my heart, Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, for making me one with you. I receive your love today, and I make you Lord of my heart. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now listen, we're going to sing. This is your moment, church, to step in, to take ground to move forward and never move backwards into something fresh that God has for us. Holy Spirit, we need you. We can't see it till we see it. So would you help us see it today, here and now, in every heart across all our campuses? Would you move us to a place of deep conviction? Make us aware of our need for unity with you that makes way for unity with others. Be honored in our midst today, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.